0: Our Father, we thank you tonight for allowing us to be here. We praise you, we exalt your name, we glorify you as God. We ask you, Father, to come in a fresh and anointing way tonight to minister to our hearts. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness thank you for your love help us to bask in that goodness and that mercy and that love tonight might there be needs among us that overwhelm, that are crushing that are hurting, that are uh, impeding our ability to see you tonight, meet those needs give us assurance give us a sense of hope and your blessings upon our lives or families tonight we think of uh, Dr. Lewis and his family, and, and uh, Ruth tonight. We pray for, for the family as they've lost Ruth's mother. pray that you would uh, be with the family, encourage, comfort, and draw near to them today. Thank you so much for, for each one that's here tonight. Minister again to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we see it. We we want to welcome some new folks we have in our midst tonight that are starting for the winter trimester. Would you, would you guys stand? We just want to give you a good NBC welcome tonight. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, if I was in a church uh, setting at... Uh, you know, visiting, I would say the quieter you are, the longer I will go. But uh, I'm not, uh, I'm restrained already, (laughs) so I can't say that. Um, Amen. We're going to have a good time. Amen. I I think church ought to be a good time, don't you? It ought to be an event. And uh, God is good. We want to kind of, Get involved a little bit in the Word. With that, I ask you if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12 with me. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12. Read a few verses from there, but do ask you to keep that passage available. Keep it open uh, that we could look at tonight. Then Samuel chapter 12, 1 Samuel Chapter 12, verse 1, Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice in all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now there is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day here I am bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken or whom have I defrauded whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it I will restore it to you they said you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand He said to them, the Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, he is witness. And then if you go down with me to verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, Then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. Verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. What a wonderful promise. This morning I read verse 11 also and, 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 uh, and verse 11 says then the Lord sent Jeroboam and Ben and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security and I said not a bad place to live in fact that's where I live <clears throat> I told you we were going to have a good time could be that some of you have seen the, the movie, The Lord of the Rings, uh, Peter Jackson's triology of films based on Tolkien's Anglo-Saxon mythological fantasy book and his papers he wrote to his son, Christopher. It has captured moviegoers' imagination the last few years, of course, and uh, those films have received many honors, uh, academy awards, and millions of dollars out of the box office and and I said it may be an indication of how desperately our culture seeks to escape the boredom as well as the overload of postmodernity. Trying to get into a fantasy world, a world of make believe. Today I want to or tonight I want to talk to us not of a make believe world of the Lord of the Rings but rather I wish to share a word with you from the wise judge and prophet Samuel who stood at the crossroad of a nation unhappy with its past but desiring to chart a new future by asking for a king there are people in transition moving from a theocracy to a monarchy not. All of them wanted the king, a uh, king, but uh, most of them did, and they prevailed upon Samuel, and the Lord seems to have gone along with it. Uh, this new course rested on the shoulders of a tall, strong, broad-shouldered Benjamite named Saul. And in Samuel, in this passage, second, in First Samuel 12, we come to what is sometimes referred as Samuel's farewell address, even though we find in the scriptures that he was nowhere to the end of his life. His death was not imminent. And yet, he gives them this, this address warning them of the dangers of the king of the king that they wanted to to have and the sense of the rejection of God as their king A few things in this passage I want to draw to our attention tonight list three uh, the first is is that one we see one man who made God the Lord of his heart. That's what I want to talk to us about tonight. Making God the Lord of a heart. And Samuel Samuel epitomizes this sense of a man who's, who's embodied the Lordship of Yahweh, whose God is his King through and through from a young child when God called him in the temple. You remember? First Samuel. A Couple of things I want to say about Samuel. First of all he presents to us a model of honesty and integrity as his long ministry, his long years, his long tenure as a prophet and judge of Israel. We see in him a man of, of great integrity and honesty. In fact, in, in our text tonight, he asked them, Did I oppress anyone? Did I defraud anyone? Did, did I take from anyone that I did not uh, anything unlawfully from you? God is my witness. See, he went to the highest witness possible before God and before this king that, that we have. And Saul is standing right next to him before this anointed one. The, earthly, the highest earthly authority and the highest heavenly authority as his witness he invokes them and says did I do anything to bring any reproach to my calling among you? and they said God is our witness nothing integrity, honesty, credibility Oh, some precious things and uh, qualities that you and I need in our days, in in our times of ministry. After surveying thousands of people around the world and performing more than 400 case studies, James Cousy and Barry Posner identified those characteristics most desired in a leader. In virtually every survey, honesty or integrity was identified more frequently than any other trait. You see, it makes sense to believe that if people are going to follow someone, whether in battle, in business, or in ministry. They want assurance that their leader can be trusted. They want to know that he or she will keep promises and follow through with commitments. I hope we get this deep down in our gizzards tonight. That God God is looking for for men and women who are honest sincere believable credible witnesses of this divine truth that he has deposited in our hands and in our hearts and in our heads especially in a time when there is a credibility gap in our culture among leaders both in and out of the church oh may God help us let us see Samuel as this model for us But there there is something else about Samuel. You see, after having led Israel for decades, Samuel promised to repay anything he had unjustly taken from anyone. Uh, Even more impressive was the people's response to him. Not one person rose up to make any claim against him. And you're talking of 40 plus years of ministry. Not a single individual says, you know, I remember. They couldn't point at anything. See those two characteristics directed how he regarded not only his possessions but his business dealings and his treatment of those who were weaker than himself. Samuel held himself accountable to the people he led. So must we. Samuel's example calls each of us to hold this to the same standard of integrity. Whatever your leadership responsibilities, whether you are in charge of a multi-million church campus or a two-year-old child, manage your affairs with honesty. Let your personal commitment to integrity show in what you do during the day, every day. May I say to us tonight that a person may forget 90% of what we say, but he or she will never forget how we live our lives. There is something else about Samuel that intrigues me. Samuel teaches us what it means to be a servant leader. Servant leadership. Samuel spent his entire life serving God by serving others. You see, I picture Samuel as this elegantly robed, bigger-than-life figure, with long, white hair and beard, with so much grace, a man who, who has lived with the anointing of God from a very young age, the maker and breaker of kings, a man molded and mastered by, the love, uh, uh, by love as well as the thunder of Yahweh, a man who embodies all the principles that Yahweh desires, in his servants. A man who has made God the Lord of his heart. He's a model of a servant leader worth emulating, especially in his time when, he, when, when great servant leaders were few and rare, not unlike our own time. I lived in Los Angeles for a while, a few years, and had the rare privilege of living in a little town called Inglewood, a little suburb of Los Angeles, where the Lakers played the big old Western Forum. It's now a church, by the way, this huge building. And uh, I would drive by just about every day, It was lived about five minutes from the Great Western Forum where Pat Riley was coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, and I was a fan, still am I, I just haven't connected yet with the Nuggets it, it'll take some time. Uh, you know, I have a philosophy that, I uh, and it seems like I'm breaking it, that where, whatever city I moved to, and I've moved a few, around a few cities in my short life that I would root for the, the team, whether it's football, or basketball. And so when I was in Los Angeles, the Raiders were there, so I was a Raiders fan. And When I lived in Ohio, around Cincinnati, the Bengals were there, so I was a Bengals fan. And I moved to Colorado Springs, and I loved the Broncos, but the Nuggets. It's growing on me, so I'm not there yet. But Pat Riley wrote a book, uh, Pat Riley has since left the Lakers. He's with the Miami Heat, Heat uh, team, and but he wrote a book some time back, and and in that book he talks of the danger of me. Uh, and and he said the most difficult thing for individuals is to to do when they are part of of the team is to sacrifice. It's a sacrifice for the team. It is so easy, he says, to become selfish in a team environment, to play for me. It's very vulnerable to drop your guard and say, this is who I am. And and, and I'm going to open up and give up myself to you. But that's exactly what you've got to do, says Riley. Willingness to sacrifice is the great paradox. You see, you you must give up something in the immediate present. Comfort, ease, recognition, quick rewards to attract something even better in the future. Servant leadership. Sacrificing for others. Living for others. May I say tonight, whether in the world of basketball or in ministry, serving others can be difficult, it's tough. Expending your energies and resources in the interest of others can be exhausting. Yet the most effective leaders are servants. Nobody demonstrated this for us better than Jesus himself. On the night before his crucifixion, Alone with his disciples in a room in Jerusalem, Jesus did the unthinkable. He did the unthinkable. When when there was no servant to carry out the custom of foot washing, Jesus assumed the role. The, The master became the servant. The greatest and the most high became the least and the lowest. And Jesus told them that night, I have set before you an example that you should do as I have done for you. John 13:15. The Lord did not tell them to do what he had done. In fact, he commanded them to do as he had done. They were not to become full-time foot washers but rather full-time servers of men and women they were to be servant leaders and so must we tonight not only do we see a man who made god the lord of his heart we also observe in our text in our passage tonight some of the verses we did not read But in that chapter, that God is worthy of becoming the Lord of our heart tonight. Verses 6 through 19. He is worthy. In verses 6 through 13, uh, Samuel says, God has cared for you. He mentions to them that he had appointed Moses and Aaron and who got them out of bondage, who helped them get out of Egypt. He had appointed judges to deliver them from, from, from their enemies when they were oppressed and caught up in the cycle of sin. And in the time of the judges, some of the darkest periods of uh, Old Testament history, when they moved from apostasy to to servitude, and they would cry out to God, and God would send a judge, raise one up to deliver them, and they would go back into that cycle over and over. And, And so Samuel reminded them of how God raised up deliverers for them. And he mentioned just a representative few in the passage, Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, and even Samuel himself is mentioned there in our text. He would go on to tell them that God is worthy of being the Lord of their heart because there will be times when God will chastise them. I'm reminded of the text in the book of Hebrews that says, He chastises those that He loves. God is worthy of being the Lord of our hearts, Samuel said to them, because God has and will demonstrate his power. Verses 16 through 19. And and as if they needed some audio visual, some, some sign, Samuel says, hold on, stand up and let me show you. And he says, all right. It's harvest time, it's wheat time, and I'm going to ask him to send rain and thunder and hail and just give you some kind of a visual. And for a moment, the sky lit up and thunder, lightning, rain and hail pelted them. And they said, oh, ask him to stop. We've got enough. We've sinned a terrible sin by asking for a king. God is worthy of being the Lord of our heart because he's a powerful God. He's a God who transforms. He's a God who delivers. He's a God who loves and cares and reaches to the lowest depths of our minds and hearts and picks us up. Sets people free. God is worthy of being the Lord of our heart. He sustains. He keeps. He motivates. He energizes. He thrills the soul. He, he gives us a lift when we're down. That's God. Is He worthy tonight? Yes. Amen. So we have seen a man who has made God the Lord of his heart, a God worthy of being the Lord of, of our heart, but there is also one more issue in the text Samuel calls the attention to the fact that he calls them to intentionally make God the Lord of their heart not only do we see it embodied in himself in Samuel. not only is God worthy of it but now he calls the nation of Israel he calls the people of Israel to Make God the Lord of their heart. We see that in verses 20 through 25. What a a wonderful text. In in, in verse verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. It's a call to make God the Lord of the heart. Not just a kind of a blasé kind of experience, a half-hearted, indifferent kind of having latitude about who God is. There's no latitude here. It must be a full commitment or no commitment at all the question that we may ask is why should we make God the Lord of our heart why should I make God and for the children of Israel in verse 20 Samuel says because there is hope in spite of your great evil in spite of your great sin by asking for a king, God will not abandon you. God will not leave you alone for His name's sake, for the glory and majesty of His name, and for calling you as His people. He will still come and help you and forgive you and walk with you. So there is hope tonight. Verse 21, He reminded them to stay away from idols, things that are funeral that has no, no, no life in it, no future in it. There is hope. He said to them, because God is faithful, for, for the sake of His name, He has made you His own. That's why you should make Him the Lord of your heart, because God is faithful. We see that in verse 22. And in verse 23, Samuel says, because I am praying for you, because I will instruct you. Intercession and instruction. Uh, Samuel says, I will take that up and I will do that. God forbid that I cease not to pray for you. Right or wrong now, it's getting towards the end of this trimester, and the winter trimester is going to hit you just a little bit. And, and some of you are saying, Boy, I don't know if I can make it. And you've done your best, you've tried your best to adjust and it's coming together and and some of you may be discouraged and you're wondering whether you should quit. There's a word here for you somewhere in there that says there is hope. God has called you, make him the Lord of your heart. Amen. Amen. Uh, and, and that there are folks who are praying for you. There, there are folks who are there to instruct you, to counsel you, to guide you, to help you through this thing. Amen. You better say amen. Amen. Oh, oh There's hope. That's why we should make Him the Lord of our heart, because He cares so deeply for each one of us. Because of the great things that He has done. Verse 24. That, that's one of the reasons we are to make Him the Lord of our hearts. Because of the great things that He has done for us. Hallelujah. We were, we were on a path that led to nowhere. And we were going there fast. And God turned us around. Gave us a life. Give us hope. Give us a sense of meaning and purpose and direction. Great things He has done for us. Think of the children of Israel and how He led them. How He provided for them. How He protected them. How He intervened on their behalf time and time and time again. And in spite of the fact that they were willing to set Him aside for an earthly king. Samuel comes back and says he's a covenant-keeping God. He will not abandon you. He will hold his end of the deal because you are his and he loves you and he cares. And for the glory of his name, all the great things he has done for you, make him the Lord of your heart. Hallelujah. And right around now you're saying, well, how? How do I do this? He gives us. He says, with all of your heart, do it truthfully, sincerely, fervently, with everything that you have, holding back nothing. That's how. Worshipfully, serving the Lord, truthfully, with everything that you are, everything that you hope to be, all your dreams and aspirations, give them over to Him. That's how you do this. Can't do this on your own. We're not strong or big enough or infinite enough or smart enough. God can enfold you and enmesh you and help you to do that which he has called you to do. And so you're making the Lord of your heart tonight. I will tell you about Ferdinand Magellan. 16th century explorer discoverer set off from Spain in 1519 and uh, and with an expedition of five ships and 265 crew members traveling to find the passage around the world to connect the Ocean, so to speak. In fact, the Strait of Magellan is named after him after he passed through Guam and the Philippines and joined the greatest ocean, the Pacific. But one of the things said about Magellan is the sense of his how focused he was, how committed he was, and, and, and when things did not go well and when they were discouraged, when the crew were discouraged and he had to quell at least three mutinies against him and, and, and the, the, the supplies was exhausted and, 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 and the, the, the riggings of his, of his ship was stuttered and the sails were rotting and, and instead of a two-year trip, it became a three-year trip and, and everything was going wrong. His favorite saying was, Sail on! he wanted to fulfill his mission to King Carlos of Spain to bring back the spices that he had gone after that was not his primary motive for going he wanted to discover the new world and he did when Magellan when he arrived he demonstrated In his mission, the fortitude of a life fully committed and focused. A life committed. Today, you and I are called to surrender our heart to God. We are to do fervently, sincerely, truthfully that which God is calling us to do. And so in our text, we have seen a man who has possessed the Lordship of Yahweh. We have seen a God who is worthy of being made the Lord of our heart. And tonight we are calling you to make that a reality. If you have not yet, make him the Lord of your heart. And like Ferdinand Magellan, I would say to you tonight, Selah. Would you say it with me? Selah. Selah. Selah.